0: Hey, good morning, guys. Good morning. Yeah, it's great to be with you. My name is Mark. For those of you that don't know me, uh, one of the pastors uh, here on staff. to uh, get to be on the teaching team as well. If you're a guest, man, I'm so glad that you're checking us out today. Glad to be with you. If you've been here for a long time, I'm glad you're here too, okay? <laughs> so, no, that is good. Okay, so not about you, but one thing that I have kind of uh, really enjoyed doing, uh, not quite at first, but over time, is just kind of the home Projects. Anyone? Anyone with me? Anyone kind of enjoy just kind of whether it's painting or rearranging furniture or maybe the full-on renovation? Let's take a little bit of a, a little bit of a quiz. In 1979, I wasn't around in 1979, but Wikipedia says 1979. <laughs> uh, a show came out that was kind of revolutionary for its time where professionals could teach people, show the, the average homeowner how they could improve their own home by themselves. Anyone know what show we're talking about? Yeah. Oz- This old house, yes, that's right, this old house. I think it maybe is still on the air, I'm not sure. We probably know all this better by by these guys. Uh, You know, Property Brothers, uh, Chip and Joanna, uh, you know, whoever your uh, favorite flavor is when it comes to that. This is like a $400 billion industry, you know, depending on what article you read, but it's huge. And uh, in my mind, there's these kind of do-it-yourself, right? Do-it-yourself, D-I-Y. And there's two kinds of do-it-yourself people. If you can allow me to paint two big brush strokes. there's the kind of do-it-yourself where it's just like, I don't care how ugly this is or how long this takes, I will do it myself. I will not drop a dime, I will not drop a penny on anyone other than me to finish this project. And then there's others of us that are usually, if you're a man, encouraged by your wife to not be that person. Uh, <laughs> like me, uh, you're, you fall in this other camp, which is like, I will do as much as I possibly can. And then, you know, where I'm just really terrible or where I'm not confident what I'm doing, I'll hire someone to, to finish it out or, you know, or maybe vice versa, however that goes. So quick story. So for me, where I found my limitations, uh, Cassie and I were in Oklahoma. I was the first full-time pastor. Gig. We bought a house, beautiful craftsman home, but someone did something to the kitchen. It was just ugly. It needed to be redone. And we were young in our marriage and, you know, we were experts at HGTV, though. <laughs> and we have watched so many, you know, home improvement shows. We knew exactly what we were doing, even though the only tool I owned at that time was a, was a drill uh, and maybe a level and a hammer. But um, we buy this house. I remember calling my dad up. I remember calling my dad like, Dad, we're going to we're going to we're going to renovate that kitchen. And we got all these plans, what we're going to do, we're going to add this, tweak that, you know, this whole, whole plan. He's like, great. In my dad's wisdom, he says this, what part of this do you want to tackle when I come down? And I said, part? <laughs> we're going to do the whole thing. The first day, we're going to demo everything and make sure it's clean. The second day, we'll put up the, the new walls, make sure all the electrical and the plumbing's done. The third day, we'll do the drywall. When the drywall's done, we can do the paint. When the paint's done, we can do the floor. The cabinets can go on, and the sink, all the extra fixtures. Dad, in a week, we can get this done. I've seen it happen. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that was my dad's reaction on the phone. But in his grace, he was like, okay, as you can imagine, you know, it took way longer than a week way longer than a week. But I uh, got time for the drywall, and I quickly realized drywall is my arch nemesis. Anyone with me on that? Okay, thank you, I feel good. Uh, and I had a buddy who was a professional who came in, he said, this is how you do it. And I was like, great. So I did it, it looked terrible. I said, come back. Okay, this is what you need to do. I said, great. And so I did it. I was still, I was like, whatever. You know, I was still living in this camp over here. I don't care how ugly it is, you know. And so I got it done. I was like, this looks good. This looks good. Got it done, painted, cabinets done. A few weeks later, maybe months, hanging out with another friend of mine named John talking about our home renovation project. I said, John, you got to come check out our house. You got to see what we did. And so, you know, he comes over and like many of you, you know this, when you, whether it's decorating or painting, whatever it is, and your friends come over, you're like, yeah, we did this and this was fun and we weren't expecting to, to you know, come across this. But, you know, we're just all this kind of banter going back and forth, excited about this little renovation project that Cassie and I did, you know, this first house that we owned. And then he comes into the kitchen and he just stops physically stops and just starts like staring like this. And I'm like, John, what is what's the problem? And he goes, Mark, I hope you did not pay much for your drywaller. <laughs> Look how terrible that line is. You can see that there just seam, blah, you're just picking it apart and I just start laughing. I was like, John, I did the drywall. <laughs> And, you know, he's just like, oh, man, he just got so red. He was so embarrassed. I said, no, it's okay. This is the last time I will ever attempt to do drywall. Oh, today as we take our focus and we focus back in on the book of Ephesians, we come across Paul's letter. Sorry, Philippians, get the right letter. We come across Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. And right in the middle of this letter, the theme of what he's telling them is it doesn't matter if you're trying to do it all yourself. It doesn't matter if you're trying to do as much as you can and then add Jesus. There is no DIY gospel. There is no do-it-yourself gospel. It either has to be all of Christ or nothing. And uh, he's—you know Paul's in prison at this point. And he's hearing, you know, there's no social media around. So he's, he's counting on just word-of-mouth reports of what's happening in this church that he's planted. And, and he's listening, and he just has this reaction. He's like, no, 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 don't put confidence in the flesh. Don't put confidence in what you can do. Put confidence in what Christ has done for you. And Even before he gets to that, that's verse 3. Before that, he says, look, I'll tell you this again and again. And again, don't you find some of the most important things, sometimes are the most annoying things, but some of the most important things in life are the things we just have to hear again and again. And again, Paul says, I'll tell you again, because it's good for you, it's safe for you. Watch out. He uses this very strict language. Watch out for these dogs, these evildoers, and these mutilators of the flesh. And we don't have to jump back to the first century to know what he means by dogs. We have to get of our we have to get out of our first world context. But in the developing world, you'll know exactly what he meant by dogs. Dogs carry disease. They're thieves. They're nuisances. They can be dangerous. You don't really want to have a dog around. And he calls, it's very derogatory to call someone a dog, especially in his context. And he says, these dogs, and that's not good enough. He says, these evildoers, and even that's not more specific enough. He says, these mutilators of the flesh. Why are they mutilators? Because there's people who are coming into this young church. And they're saying, yeah, I know Paul said it's all Jesus, but you actually need to keep doing some of these old practices, whether it's circumcision or, or what else. And Paul just says, guys, have confidence in Christ, not in the flesh. I'll tell you this again and again and again. Have confidence in Christ and not in the flesh. And many of us have heard this message before. And it it kind of preaches in and of itself, just these first three verses, we can kind of just shut the Bible and go, okay, that's right, let's talk about what it means to just have confidence in Christ and not confidence in the flesh. But what's beautiful about chapter three in the book of Philippians that we're just going to spend a little bit of time in is unlike any other letter, Paul pulls back the curtain and he says, let me tell you my story. And, and through listening to my story, perhaps you can see what it looks like to have confidence in Christ and not confidence in the flesh. And so that's what we're going to do. So go ahead and open up your Bible. If you have a paper Bible, we've got Bibles in the back. In case you don't have one, you can take it home. If you've got a Bible on your phone, open that up. We're in the book of Philippians chapter 3. Okay, we're going to read along with me here. Book of Philippians uh, chapter 3. Um, I've already kind of summarized the first couple verses. We're going to start in verse 3. Philippians 3, verse 3 says this, For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. This is what I was saying. And Paul keeps going, and this is where he pulls back the curtains. He says, Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, If someone thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, uh, uh, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. And then we get to this, which so many of us, you know, know so well or have heard these verses before, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ as I was preparing for this message, one of the Bible apps that I follow, like, it actually you know, posts this like daily you know, picture thing that you can repost. Some of you know what I'm talking about. and It used one of these verses. Consider all things a loss for the sake of Christ. And they're really good verses. And some of you, it's your life verse. Maybe you got it tattooed or, or perhaps you're sharing it all the time. You got it written down somewhere where you can always see it, and that's good. But there's a way that Paul gets to verse 7. There's something that he walks the Israelites through. Uh, There's something that he walks through this church. These Jewish people, but also there's these new Christians, these Gentiles. He walks them through something in order to get to verse 7. So let's change tracks here a little bit so we can understand what he's doing. Remember back with me to when you were perhaps in high school, maybe college, or maybe recently, if you, you know, you've had a job change or you've sought a new job, maybe you've had to move to uh, uh, a new place. What's one of the things that you have to have? It's a little piece of paper. It's called a resume. All right? Oh, what a glorious piece of paper. <laughs> the hours that you put into crafting every single word. Because you know the average employer, statistically, like... Less than 10 seconds decides whether or not your resume is worth reading or not. Less than 10 seconds. And so the hours that go into, you know, just just crafting how it looks, hoping that wherever his or her eye falls on that sheet of paper or maybe looking at it online, you know, the right pops out the right words I remember when I was going through this process a while ago uh, uh, my wife was Cassie was helping with it and and a friend who was kind of professional in this area she's like I'll help you with it and I was like holy cow like this is way more intense than I than I thought it could be and some of you who are in kind of this profession you know what I'm talking about but what is a resume resume shows what you're you're confident in right you got your experience, maybe a purpose statement, some of your passion projects, uh, your achievements on there. It shows the things that you have confidence in. And the reason why it shows you want your resume to show what you have confidence in is because you want whoever you hope to employ you to go, I can be confident that they can do this. I have confidence in their confidence. And even more so, it's another piece of paper where uh, you're saying, this is what I can bring to the table. This is what I can bring to the table. And for those of you that don't like to brag on yourself, it can actually be kind of a, a daunting process to, to brag about yourself on this piece of paper or perhaps in an interview. No, this is what I can bring to the table. This is how I can help you. This is how I will fulfill the vision, mission, blah, 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 right? This is what I can bring to the table. This is why you can have confidence in me because I'm confident I can do this. What Paul's doing in verses five and six is he's walking this through his resume. And because, you know, we don't recognize the words that he uses in our modern-day, like, vocabulary, we just kind of blow right past verses 5 and 6. We jump right on verses 7 and 8. So let's rewind a little bit. Verses 5 and 6. I've summarized them here. This is Paul's resume. Now, remember, Paul's saying, if anyone has more confidence, it's me. If anyone thinks they can bring more to the table, it's me. I was circumcised on the eighth day. Why did he say that? Because in his tradition... To be obedient was to follow a very strict regimen. And We look at circumcision, and, and maybe it's a health issue or an ethic issue, whatever it is. But in their day, it was an act of obedience, and it happened on the eighth day in a very specific way. And what he starts with, he starts at the beginning because, I mean, he was a baby. He didn't have any decision on whether or not he was circumcised. His parents chose for him to be circumcised. He said, I came from an obedient family, and today we'd probably say I came from a Christian home. I came from a home where my parents observed the law. Enough to make sure that I started life out the right way. Tribe of Benjamin. So 12 tribes of Israel. And after the 12 sons of Jacob. And he's saying, I'm not just a, a Jew, a Hebrew. I am a pure blood Jew. My lineage is strong. It doesn't just go all the way back to the beginning of Israel. It goes all the way back through the Israelites into Egypt and even before that. And what do we know about the tribe of Benjamin? Well, if we read in the book of Genesis, who was Benjamin? He was one of, God, he was one of Jacob's uh, favored sons, right? And later on, when everything just started to kind of go to pot with all the different uh, 12 tribes and they started to split you know, after King David and things just, got, things just got messy. The tribe of Benjamin if you study that history actually kind of came out looking better than a lot of the other tribes. I came from an obedient family. I came from a Christian home. My parents were good. Oh and by the way my, my bloodline is like pure. I am a purebred and I'm a thoroughbred not just a purebred. I'm a thoroughbred. It's in my blood. And it doesn't just stop there. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. He's kind of summing up what he did. But what that also means, he was, he was trained by the best. This guy by the name of Gamaliel, which we know Paul was trained by. Gamaliel, it's like the Ivy League. Like there's a waiting list. For the parents whose children were able to be trained by Gamaliel, it was a badge of honor. They got a sport vest with a crest on it that no one else got. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. Not only was I born in the right family with a thorough, uh, thoroughbred bloodline, but also I was trained in the right way. Oh, and by the way, out of school, I didn't, I didn't just drop off the end. No, no, no. What did I do? I became a Pharisee. And a lot of times we read the Bible and we see Pharisee as, and we use it as a hypocrite. And, you know, that's kind of accurate in terms of how we use it in our lingo. But in their day, a Pharisee was like the elite the best of the best. There were like 613 laws. The Pharisees knew all of them and then more. People looked to the Pharisees for guidance. If you were able to become a Pharisee, it meant that you devoted your life to the Jewish uh, faith, to that, your religion, in a way that no one else did. This was the elite of the elite. And I wasn't just any Pharisee, Paul says. You know, when this movement started, this rebel carpenter named Jesus, all these people started following him, they were worth killing. for. He's writing to the church. (laughs) I was the guy who put me in prison, Paul's saying. I killed for my faith. I defended it. Oh, and yeah, just to circle back, just in case it wasn't clear, the 613 laws, I was faultless. Was he saying he was perfect? Like, no, we don't think Paul is saying he was a perfect man. But when it came to just obedience, no one did it better than Paul. And so when Paul comes out of this warning, like, don't put confidence in the flesh, he comes out just saying, no one has more confidence than me. No one has more to bring to the table than me. Look at my religious resume. All these things for my own righteousness. Look at my religious resume no one can bring more to the table than me, and that's what makes verses 7 and 8 so much sweeter. Because Paul's story is so different than many stories. Paul's story is not one where he's saying, I was broken and alone, and I, and I needed Christ. Paul's story was not, I, I've wrecked every relationship in my life. My parents just abandoned me, and all I had left was to turn to Christ. Paul's story was not one of just complete abandonment, broken, whatever it is. Paul's story was, I was at the top of my game. I was the best of the best. I was the elite. No one had it better than me. My resume, you wouldn't even, you would, you would see my name and you'd say, hire me. That's how good I was. And all of it is worth nothing for Christ. Paul is not trading, Paul does trade his failure for Christ, yes. But in this scripture, what he's telling this church and what we get to see by looking over his shoulders as he's writing this is Paul is trading his success for Christ. That's what's a loss. Let's go back to verse 7 and 8 now, real quick. We can see this. He uses this very transactional language. We can do this when we read the Bible. You don't need a degree. To read the Bible, pay attention to words. Pay attention to to things that are opposite. Pay attention to things that are repeated. Just in verses seven and eight, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss. So see gains and loss, just this this opposite. He's using these accounting terms, these business terms. All of those things, my religious resume was a gain to me. Now it's loss. Whatever more I consider loss, every became surpassing worth of. Knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ. Notice, too, how he says what he gained before, everything he could do, by considering it a loss, by considering it garbage, now he can, what, gain Christ. By the way, garbage, it's a fun word. It literally means excrement. Dog dung. (laughs) Fill in the blank, the word you know I'm not going to say from this platform. (laughs) That is what Paul is saying. And we knew that he knew the scriptures, and so he's obviously, well, he's probably referencing in the back of his mind, Isaiah 64, 6, when he says, your your righteousness is as filthy rags. And not the kind of filthy rags that you throw in the trash, the kind of filthy rags you want to flush down the toilet. The kind of filthy rags you want to call that guy to come and, you know, clean out your septic tank. I was saying, it's a loss for Christ. Christ. It's a loss for Christ. So before we move on, it's, we, we read this about Paul, and we're like, oh, man, Paul, good for you. Like, good for you. Like, I don't have that. I don't have a seminary degree. You know, I don't have a thoroughbred bloodline. You know, I don't have, you know, these other kinds of things. Good for you, Paul. And probably one of the most important questions we need to do before you move forward, just in Paul's story, is go, what is your religious resume? What is your religious resume? For some of you, it is the things that you have done. In other words, the things that you count for your righteousness, that when when you do, you're like, God, look at me. This is counting for good to attain your favor. I'm trying to, to gain my salvation. Like, this is part of the reason why you saved me. I do really great things in the community. I've given a lot of money away. Do you know how many people that I've influenced... Some of you i like, look, people, I've pointed to Christ. All of these really good things. But you're counting them for yourself, not for Christ. What is your religious resume? For some of you, it's not what you have done. I think for most of us, it's actually what we haven't done. And this is a way more, ah. this is far trickier. Because it's these tiny ways where our sinful nature and our pride just get in the nooks and crannies of our life. We pat ourselves on the back and go, man, I am one good person. What do you mean the things you haven't done? I've never murdered. Good. (laughs) I don't. It's not going to get you into heaven. Never robbed a bank. Never cheat. I've never stolen, you know, whatever it is. Or even other things as you look and judge other people. I've never committed adultery. I've never abandoned my family. I've never come home wasted. And all these little slippery ways where we say what I haven't done and we actually count them as righteousness in our lives. And we go, man, what a good little boy am I or girl. And the beauty with Paul's story is he's saying, check your successes. Check the things that you count successful in your life and just know, like, they may be great things, but they're not for righteousness in Christ. The only way to gain Christ is to let everything go. All of it is a loss for Christ. And by the way, nothing we could come up with today if I sit down with each one of you individually and we tell it up everything you have done or everything you haven't done, none of us could probably come up with a list close to Paul's. Which is why his testimony is so strong here when he says, My success, no one was more successful than me. So what does he, does, what does he do with this? Verse 7 and 8 talks about it's a loss for Christ. But what does he, what does he do? Well, he updates his resume. He says, I have a new resume now. Pick up your Bibles again. Philippians chapter three, let's read this. Verses nine through 11. He says, that verses five and six was what I had and verses seven and eight was what I did with it, well, verses nine through 11 is what I have now. Philippians three, starting in verse nine, it says this. He says, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. It's what he'd been talking about but that which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith i love how he just repeats things like dummies get this into your head verse 10 i want to know the po- i want to know christ know the word know i want to know christ yes to know the power of his resurrection participation in the sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow, attaining the resurrection from the dead, Paul just lists off a new resume for us. Hey, guess what? When we trade in our filthy rags, Christ gives us a resume that we didn't have to do anything for. And at the top, it's this. It's I'm saved through faith. All the things that I've tried to do on my own now just doesn't matter because I'm saved through faith. But it's not even done there. Like the, before we move on, like what Paul's saying just in that one sentence is like your entire life can be completely focused on attaining your own salvation by being a good person, by making sure you don't do the right things, and none of it will matter because it won't work. But you can be saved through faith in Christ, and then you can do even more. And that's what verse 10 is I have the power of life itself. Right in verse 10, it says, the power of the resurrection. Christ was raised from the dead. That kind of power. Some of you may have heard the phrase, resurrection power, right? That's what Paul is saying here. That's a text. Some people get that phrase from what well, God breathed life into Adam and into Eve. Christ spoke and all of creation, right, came to be this kind of power. Paul is saying, now it's in me. The Holy Spirit will come and live in me when I am saved through faith in Jesus Christ. And you look at this and you go, Mark, that is awesome. Saved through faith? Yes, that sounds great. Power of life all day long. I'm not sure about this participating in his sufferings and like him in his death deal. It seems a bit, it seems a bit, you know, out of balance. Paul talks about sufferings a lot. Chapter 2, he talks about participating in Christ's suffering, suffering for Christ. You know, and, and because of our experiences and, and what we've seen of, of others, you know, just words can really mess us up. And we can read that. We can go, I don't know if I really want to suffer for Christ. Or there's enough suffering in my life. I don't know if I want more suffering. Let me try to maybe give us a different perspective on, on, on trying to see what Paul's saying here. Uh, two, two examples. First example, this one's really easy, low-hanging. Someone that you love. It could be like a child, you know, a parent, a, a friend, spouse, whatever it is. You have plans to go out that night. Great plans to go out that night. And uh, you're going to have fun, whatever, that, whatever it is with who, who you're doing it with. But then what happens? It's the winter. It's cold. They get, they get a cold. And they're like all junked up. And you know as soon as you call them or come home, We ain't going anywhere. (laughs) You don't think twice about just changing your plants, right? And if you really love the person, you're probably going to do something like, all right, what do you want to do? Do you want to like... Rent a movie, you want to watch one of our favorite shows, you want to play a board game, as long as you don't sneeze and snot all over it, you know, like you know, what do you wanna what do you wanna do? I'll make some tea, we'll have some we'll have some fun together here at home. But you don't think twice about changing your plans to what are you doing? You're kind of participating in their sufferings, right? Let's take it to a further example. You're scrolling through Facebook and you see that that someone has received diagnosis that that everyone just dreads that they have cancer. And within moments, Facebook, their feed is just exploding with support. And if you know this person, and by know this person, I mean if it's someone that you love, again, maybe a child or a spouse or a friend or a parent or whoever, someone that you love, you will not think twice about rearranging your life to make sure they get what they need. They need child care. Are you bringing them here or am I going to you? You need a meal? Done. Like like 18 people are cooking stuff in kitchens right now for you. Oh, you need to get to an appointment? Okay, I can actually cancel this and, and I'll make sure you get there. We don't think twice about rearranging our lives for the people that we love when it comes to just being with them in their pain and their suffering when we truly love them, right? And this is the power of relationship. Like healthy relationships, they change us. And it it really kind of like hits hard with this whole idealism today of, of like be your own person and don't change for anyone. And there's value in some of that, but Guess who created relationships? It's Jesus. So why would we think that what, what is like not even a second thought to us with the people that we love in, on earth, why wouldn't it be the same with the person that we love who first loved us? If Christ is truly a healthy relationship in our life, then we will participate in his sufferings. Maybe over time it means, you know, not having the same friends. Or maybe it means, you know, not, not being a part of the dirty joke circle around the water cooler at work. Or perhaps it means not following some things on Facebook anymore. Or perhaps it means standing up for someone who's in trouble. Whatever that means in your, in your life, if you truly love Christ, this is what Paul's saying. I love Christ so much that I have a healthy relationship with him. I'll participate in the sufferings, be like him in his death. And we know that he meant it because he did die for Christ. This is Paul's new resume. He says, I'm safe through faith. I have the power of life itself. I have a real relationship with Jesus. This is, a, this is the real thing. I don't know why, but every time I think about that, I think, you know, it's like when you're talking to your parents about the person you met and you go, man, this is the real thing, mom and dad. This is the real thing. Paul's saying, This is the real thing. And he loves this real relationship with Jesus forever. Verse 11. So he's talking about something that happened. He was saved through faith. But then he's like, but it's actually happening now. I have a relationship with Jesus now. This is happening now. Verses 7 and 8 that we already talked about. There's like a past tense. I did count it lost. And then there's a present tense. Like every day I have to remind myself to count my successes as a loss for Christ. To lay it all down. Because my sinful pride, I just want to keep adding things to this resume. I want to keep like squeezing in there. Saved through faith. Like... And I read my Bible 15 times, 15 days in a row, you know. uh, uh, The power of life itself. And I have the best diet of all my friends. You know what I mean? We just want to keep like squeezing all these tiny things in here so we can pat ourselves on the back. And Paul's just saying every day we need to remind ourselves. It's all lost for the sake of Christ. It doesn't, that does not get us into heaven. He wants those things for us. But no one can get anything for us in that same way. And uh, also, just real quick, quick sidebar, verse 11, uh, some of you theologian, kind of nutty people out there, uh, you know, you're really big into end times, and you're like, is Jesus coming back? Is this the end times? Is this the Antichrist? You know, what is going on in the news today? (laughs) We're the locusts in, you know, Revelation, are they Apache helicopters? What's going on in, you know, across the world? What's going on? We just read verse 11 and take a breath? (laughs) Because one of the best things we can read in verse 11 is this word, somehow. And so, what does he say? And so, comma, somehow, comma. Now, Paul does have, you know, things to say about what the end times will look like. But we can just take a breath here in this text and be like, look, if you have a real relationship with Jesus now, you're going to have a real relationship with Jesus then. And then, however eternity works, then and then and then and then and then. So Paul's just telling the church, he's just on him, He's like, look, transfer your confidence onto Christ every day. Once saved, you're always saved. But like your sinful nature is just going to keep squeezing things into your religious resume. You just got to remember Christ did it all. You're saved through faith. You have the power of the Holy Spirit. And he wants you to have a real relationship with him. That's your new resume. Just keep building after Christ, not before Christ, not on top of Christ. Just everything Christ done for us, we do all these things because of him. Three quick areas, how this can impact our lives. So uh, uh, myself and some of the other pastors, we were at a conference this week out in California and and Ryan, uh, our campus pastor you know up at DeForest, Ryan and I were flying back together And we're sitting on the plane (laughs) and um, it was like really clear out and uh, the pilot was just really excited to point everything out along the way and like, how dare he interrupt my in-flight movie? Like how rude. So, you know, he'll hop on like, ladies and gentlemen, you know, I'm not going to try and make a pilot voice. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, you know, if you look out to your left, uh, uh, you know, there's Pike's Peak. If you look out to your left, uh, there's the Grand Canyon. Oh, my goodness, Grand Canyon. I don't know why he did this, but he actually said, if you look out to your left, you can see the Quad Cities. We're like, (laughs) okay, it's just a weird one to put between the Grand Canyon and Chicago, but that was what's next. If you look out to your left, you can see the skyline of Chicago. And you can see Michigan, you know, Lake Michigan, and just this is an amazing view. He's saying he's on the thing, and Ryan and I are like, awesome. We're sitting on the right side of the plane. <laughs> we didn't see any of it. As we're flying over this scripture, let's be sure that as we're pointing things out, we don't miss these things. Because oftentimes when we read the text, or perhaps we're, we're listening to a message, we can be on the wrong side of the plane and be like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, yeah." So let's look at some things. Let's move to the left side of the plane, and look at some things of this, how this might impact us. First one's work. How does having your confidence in Christ impact your work? Here's one way, one suggestion, one example of how this might change how you do work. We no longer live in a society, and some of you still are, like, in the same job, and you've been there for 40 years. Like, that is awesome. Like, God bless you. But we are, we are now in a very transient society, and you're going to have more than one job. And even that, we're going to be working with a lot of people, and the people in our offices or on the job site or our clients, they're always going to be coming and going. And there is that person that all of us have interacted with that is like the kryptonite of your personality. And I don't care what filter you want to use, Enneagram, Meyer Briggs, whatever it is, there is the kryptonite to every personality type of like, this is the antithesis of me and I have to work with them. What's going to happen? Or perhaps, you know, uh, your identity just becomes everything in what you do and maybe it's not counted to you as righteousness, but it's your identity, your confidence, your actual resume is your confidence. What happens when you change jobs? What happens when the kryptonite that you despise and want to bury? I don't remember what Superman did with the kryptonite, but whatever, however you get rid of that, you know what happens when they get the promotion or when they get the bid? or when they get the success. If your confidence is in who you are and what you can bring to the table, and it's all about you and your ability to do it, I can do this, this is what I can do, you will fail time and time again. You will be left at home or in a bar or wherever it is where you go when you feel like a complete failure. But if your confidence is in Christ... The worst can happen to you. You can lose the job. You can lose the bid. Your mortal enemy can get the promotion. And while it may hurt, your confidence in Christ just reminds you, hey, you didn't start from ground zero. You're not buried in the ground. I still got you. Okay, life might be hard. You might be entering a desert season, but I still got you. If your confidence in Christ If your confidence is in Christ, it can change your confidence in the workplace and how you do those things. Real quickly, another one, relationships. This one's super tricky (laughs) because relationships are super tricky. (laughs) And uh, we do something here at church that I call the greatest social experiment in the world. And it's called Groups. Where we say, hey, I know you don't know these people, and I know that you may or may not have anything in common. You might have never met, but let's get in a circle and talk about the deepest things of life together. (laughs) Like, why would we do that? We do that because our confidence is not in how good you are at making friends. Our confidence is if we can come in a circle together and somehow try to make Christ the center of that circle, it doesn't matter if you have a different political view. It doesn't matter if you have a different story. It doesn't matter if somehow you've ended up in a circle with your mortal enemy, your com- the confidence is in, is in Christ, and your confidence is in Christ. And, and we believe in the richness of community and that we are better when we're in community together. And what happens in groups, which is why we still do it, is friends become family. Strangers become friends, and friends become family. It's this beautiful thing. Sometimes it doesn't work out. You find a new circle, and until you find that friends become family kind of thing. Join a group, by the way. Free plug. What if our marriages were this way? What if in our marriages, our confidence was not in our spouse and what they could bring to the table or what they could do for us or what they could do for our family or what they, what they, what they. What if in our marriages, what we brought to the table was a confidence in Christ? Because guess what? If you haven't figured that out already, you're just really ignorant. <laughs> but we're going to fail each other. Hopefully in small ways, but sometimes in big ways. And when you fail each other and your confidence is in the other person, it all goes to pot. But when you fail each other and your confidence is rooted in Christ, you can truly have restoration, you can pursue peace, you can, you can have life, the power of life. Last thing and we'll be done. What about you? What about you? You. What in your life are you like building up your religious resume and that maybe you never realized you were doing before? Oh, what a little good boy am I because I, I've never done these things or I have done these things where we just need to heed Paul's warning. And he's saying, you know, there's other people leading us astray. There's always going to be others leading us astray, but we don't need help being led astray. What are the things that we just need to just daily repeat verse 8, you know, and I consider them a loss for the sake of knowing Christ, having a relationship with Christ. Verses 12 through 14, which are great verses. We're just not going to have time to really get to today. They just give us an incredible encouragement as we kind of finish out where Paul's just like, hey, all this, I haven't achieved it. Which is interesting, right? Because when he ended his resume, he's like, I was faultless when it came to pursuing my, my religious resume. But now that I have Christ's religious resume, Christ is, already the, Christ is the completeness, not me. And I strive towards the prize every day, that prize being a relationship with Christ. So let's strive towards the prize every day, making sure we're building on Christ, not trying to replace him in our lives. Let's go ahead and let's pray together. God, thanks so much for your word and that we can just kind of dive in and laugh and have fun, but also just let it speak to us. And so I pray that something said or maybe nothing I said, but just your Holy Spirit work in our lives. It's just to help us in this whole area of confidence and that as we do pursue it in in our work as we should, Father, that it is first rooted in you and who you are. And that that truth, as we just come to it daily, would transform everything we do in work, all of our relationships, and even just our messed up selves. Thank you that you love us. Thank you for your grace and thank you for your mercy. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.